It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Tuesday episode of Locked on Raptors, the Toronto Raptors have spent the better part of the last month figuring themselves out on offense and becoming a pretty passable team when it comes to scoring. But if you are nostalgic for the sludge that plagued the first two and a half months of the season, last night's game was for you. A breakdown Raptors Suns on today's episode of Locked on Raptors. Thanks so much for hanging. Oh, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So I don't shoot trying to miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the free time of the Hail Mary 3 by Mo Get that garbage out of here. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1331 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, January the 31st. I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I cover the Toronto Raptors now for nine seasons on various platforms. You can find all of my work over on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can follow, subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast for free as well. And uh, you can do that on your favorite podcast apps, Apple, Google, Spotify, all that good stuff. We are also on YouTube. Please go hit the big red subscribe button over the Locked On Raptors YouTube channel. Support the show that way. And I will be forever indebted to you. So thanks in advance for doing that and join another Locked On Raptors family over there. Uh, all right, today's show is brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started today. All right, on today's show, digging into the Raptors, 114-106 loss to the Phoenix Suns on Monday night, moving them to 2-2 two and two on this uh, potentially franchise-defining, franchise-altering seven-game Western road trip. Uh, the game against the Suns, not the high point, I would say, of the trip, though it looked like for a hot second it might be one of the better wins they pull out. Uh, you know, that Kings win obviously is going to go down, I think, as maybe the win of the season at this rate, but uh, for a hot second it looked like they might take down the Devin Booker-less Suns, who are still a pretty stout team, and defensively in particular, they really gummed up the Raptors' works on offense, and that's what we're going to talk about at the top of the show. Later on, we're going to get to Scotty Barnes and Fred Van Vliet, who kind of had to fill in the vacuum left by a Pascal Siakam, who had foul trouble in the first half and didn't have his best night. We'll talk about Scotty and Fred and kind of how they're making their imprint on the offense a little more regularly. Then we got the good, the bad, and the hmm to round out the show. But on the, uh, the topic of the offense, let's kind of get to the big takeaway here. And for me, you know, this is a team that has spent the last month or so really refining itself on offense, changing the way they play, implementing Scotty Barnes differently, changing the offensive hierarchy, and it's worked pretty well. Going into last night, they were a top 10 offense in January. I would imagine that slipped a little bit. Don't have the numbers in front of me here, but it was not the best offensive effort from the Raptors last night. There were moments, there were stretches where it looked great. But also those sort of damned (laughs) long four or five minute droughts of very little offensive production. And for a team that still has a lot of defensive issues, they're going to have to outscore their problems. This Suns team, I think, kind of exposed 
the limits of, you know, Precious Achua as your sort of best defender. And I think kind of makes you realize, oh, OG Ananobi, pretty important. Uh, You know, I still think maybe trading him is the move. We'll talk about that a little bit throughout the show, as I think there's more reporting this morning from Shams Trani that the Raptors are, in fact, listening on OG Ananobi, which is a big deal, obviously. Uh, We're going to examine that throughout the entire week. Actually, Friday on the podcast, Joe Wolfond, our pal from The Score, is going to pop by, and we're going to do a deep dive on the OG thing. But, you know, the Suns, with the way they play with the way they defend they just made the Raptors incapable of putting together an offense enough offense to outscore their defensive woes in this one and look I thought they were a pretty spirited defensive team in this game for for long stretches but the Suns make you make a lot of decisions they make you compromise quite a bit and they did themselves no favors by having Precious Achua so high up in the pick and roll coverage against Chris Paul leaving them totally exposed in the back line the number of time Fred Van Vliet was sliding over to bump the roller in uh, DeAndre Ayton who's like twice of Fred Van Vliet's size uh, that's not what you want and you know late in the game the the dagger bucket from DeAndre Ayton was uh, you know kind of a, a byproduct once again of Precious coming up way too high in the pick and roll Scotty Barnes not being ready as the low man to slide over and help at the rim and Aiton putting it up to sort of seal it with about a minute left in this game that said the defense to me is not the thing that stands out as the the problem in this one it was in fact the offense and it it just there was a whole lot that was kind of going on in this one that contributed to it I think first of all the Suns really messed with the Raptors with their zone um, and the Raptors didn't seem to have a ton of great ideas on how to figure it out there was a lot of precious Achua in the middle of the zone in this game. And as much as I have sung the praises of Precious Achua on this show, and as much as he can do no wrong in my eyes, if you were someone who, in fact, he could do wrong in the eyes of, you would maybe look at the way he makes decisions or does not make decisions quickly in the middle of a zone as sort of a big improvement area for him going forward. And, you know, I think there's potential for Precious in that spot, right? He has the sort of burst where he can have a big man on him in close quarters, you know, 12, 13 feet from the basket, and still be able to get a step on him and score. We saw that happen a couple times, um, you know, in particular near the end of the first half. He had that really nice, tough finish through traffic and, and contact off glass and in. That was great to see. But for the most part, he kind of gets the ball at the nail and is just like, oh, God, what do I do now? And there's just too much time thinking about what the next move is. For me, I would have preferred to see Scotty Barnes in the middle of the zone there. What has worked so well for the Raptors over the last month? Scotty Barnes in the middle of the floor, mostly as a role man in the pick and roll. But in zone, you know, having Scotty's vision, his his just ability to kind of pick out passes that the other team doesn't seem to realize are there, that the Raptors sometimes don't even realize are there, not having him in the middle of the zone I thought was a mistake, especially considering I would much rather have Precious Achua spacing as a zone-busting three, as it were, uh, or as a three-point shooter, than Scotty Barnes right now, who, as much as Scotty Barnes has had a lot of progress of late, the three-point shot remains something to be desired. Just, you know, I thought it was a weird sort of approach to that zone, and you did see the the effect of not having OG Ananobi in this game as well. Again, if the Raptors are, in fact, listening to offers for OG Ananobi and are willing to move on from him, you have to understand there's going to be some short-term pain. If you are someone who is hoping that the rest of this season is going to be a big turnaround and they're going to use the deal to sort of springboard themselves to a push for the nine seed or whatever, um, which I know not a lot of people really care about, I would like to play in. I think the play-in's fun, but I'm also someone who undervalues picks as a rule. Um, either way, I, I think you're going to see the impact of no OG, the lack of shooting, the lack of zone-busting, the lack 
of um, just the way that him as an off-ball scorer makes it a lot easier for guys like Pascal Siakam, who had a rough game in this one. We'll talk about that in the next segment a little bit more. Um, you know, just a really nasty offensive game for the Raptors of this one. And credit to the Suns, even when they weren't playing zone, their man defense is just really good across the board, especially when Devin Booker's out. And Booker's no slouch defensively, but you roll a Chris Paul, Mikal Bridges, Cam Johnson, Torrey Craig, DeAndre Ayton lineup out, there's not really a mismatch to go and hunt. We know the dangers of trying to hunt Chris Paul. Uh, he's going to do old guy stuff to make it really hard on you, even when you do get those matchups. And, you know, with Pascal Siakam having himself some foul trouble in this one, with their, you know, being just a really rough three-point shooting night from the team, they just didn't have the juice. Where they really lost this game, and I think which speaks to the sort of Suns' ability to keep the Raptors out of the areas they want to get to. The Raptors normally own the short mid-range, right? The sort of the long paint shot, you know, outside of the restricted area, still in the paint floater range, that type of stuff. Scotty Barnes is incredible from that range. That is Pascal Siakam's office. He has gotten to that free throw line jumper seemingly at will all season long. In this game, not so much the case. 7 of 19 per the NBA.com shot charts uh, in this game from the long paint area outside the restricted area in the paint. That's just not enough. In a game you lose by 8 points, those are the buckets that the Raptors are typically kind of relying upon. And then I think you also saw in this game the way the Suns sort of collapsed down, made it difficult for you know Pascal, Scotty, Fred Van Vliet to spray it out to shooters um, with just the incredible length they bring. The Raptors didn't get any corner threes in this game. Three corner threes of their 33 attempts on the night. Uh, just not enough. Seven of 30 on above-the-break threes in this game. For a team that's not a great three-point shooting team, they're not even giving themselves the best chance to hit their threes um, just because they're coming from the bad spots, the, the spots you don't want your threes coming from. Just uh, the offensive process was sticky in this one, but I do think you got to give a lot of credit to the Suns. They were really, really stout. Um, you know, as much as DeAndre Ayton has his moments of, you know, failure <laughs> you know, at times here and there, he's just a really big, imposing presence at the rim. And it was just a tough one for the Raptors to try to navigate. So credit to them, but I also don't think the Raptors did themselves any favors process-wise. And then you get the Siakam game, which had its drawbacks, but also had a couple silver linings. We're going to get to those on the other side here in just one second. Before we do that, however, I got to tell you about our friends over at FanDuel, our brand new wonderful partners uh, who are the number one sports book in all of America. And if you're a new FanDuel user, that is even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. You can download the FanDuel app now so you can bet the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 57 with no sweat. First bet, you get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. That is a deal you can't pass up with the Super Bowl drawing near. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown, not to mention all the really fun, silly prop bets that you like at the Super Bowl, like the Gatorade color and whether someone's going to score a safety as the first score of the game. It's all there. The FanDuel sports back sports Book app that is is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Best of all, you can get paid your winnings instantly. Go check out the FanDuel app. It's fantastic, and they're the place to go. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to claim your no-sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL and of LockedOn. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. 
Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, we continue on here with your first listen of the day. Digging into the Raptors' loss to the Suns. Uh, Before we talk a little bit about the way Pascal Siakam's rough night allowed a little bit of intriguing play from Scotty Barnes and Fred Van Vliet. We'll get to that in a sec, but a reminder, Tuesday, February the 7th, the Rivoli, Queen Street West in Toronto, Raptors Republic, our friends over there are putting on a wonderful pre-trade deadline podcast event. I will be on the very first panel of the night, the Vibes panel, this is what I've been assigned to. Our friend Katie Heindel will be there, Catherine Niker, former guest of the podcast, will be there as well, and some more special secret guests who are going to be there all through the night. Uh, basically, everyone from Raptors Internet who you know is going to be at this event, so be sure to go get your tickets at raptorsrepublic.com right now. All right, let's get to it. The Pascal Siakam night. 19 points for him in this one. Uh, Three boards, just one assist, which is extremely out of character for Pascal Siakam. You don't see that very often. He has, I believe, our our dear friend Kirtika from TSN, Raptors Internet stats guru, uh, pointed out it's the first time all season Pascal's gone without, or sorry, with fewer than five rebounds and five assists in in consecutive games this season. Um, You know, we've seen this happen, though, right? We've talked about this. The way the Raptors have reorganized their offense has, in a way, deprioritized Pascal Siakam, which I don't think is a bad thing necessarily, because he's been completely worked to the bone all year long, and we saw the results. The offense was not very good when Pascal was asked to be the engine every single time down the floor. It was predictable. It was a lot to ask of Pascal, who was also asked to do a ton on the defensive end. And the way that they've kind of reoriented things here, you know, his usage has gone from 29.4% in the first two and a half months of the season down to 25.6% in January. That speaks to the way they've kind of reallocated possessions and sort of spread things out a little bit more. It's become more unpredictable, but it's left a little less room for Pascal to just go collect massive stats because he's got his fingers on every single Raptors possession. And in this game, playing in that sort of off-ball role and, you know, working as more of a, you know, not always the centerpiece of what the Raptors were doing actions-wise, he just couldn't quite find his spots. Like we said, the the Suns' defense around the rim and just sort of in that uh, long long mid-range area, short mid-range area was really, really excellent and gave Siakam a lot of trouble. Like I said all season long, he's been getting to that office, that sort of 13-foot step-back J pretty routinely, and it was not a shot he was able to find with comfort in this game. You know, there were a couple of instances where he got to it, but for the most part, it it was always a slog. It was always really difficult. There were arms all over the place, a couple of really tough contested attempts, uh, you know, just with dudes draped all over him. And like I said, the the collapsing of the Suns' defense made it really hard for him to spray out to guys. And this was more of a Van Vliet and Barnes playmaking game. You also see the fact that Siakam picked up his third foul uh, early on in the second quarter, and the rest of the second kind of became the domain of Scotty Barnes and Fred Van Vliet, mostly Scotty Barnes. And I, I will say, you know, like if you're looking down the line, if you're looking at what the grand vision of this team is, where uh, my assumption is their hope is they can overlap the late prime of Pascal Siakam with the early prime of Scotty Barnes. If you're looking at what this team is going to look like down the road, Scotty Barnes is probably the guy who eventually is going to be the one you want to be your sort of go-to number one, with Siakam being one of the very best number twos that there is. And we got to see a little bit of what it might look like with a little more Scotty Barnes and Fred Van Vliet kind of at the helm in this game in particular. And look, it wasn't a great offensive game. Those guys are not going to carry an incredible offense, but I do think it's nice to see these guys getting to flex their muscles a little bit, particularly Scotty, 
I was really heartened. It was a tough start for Scotty. Some wonky touch, some turnovers early on. Three turnovers in the first quarter, if I recall. Um, you know, we had four on the night, all three of which came in the first four minutes of the game or so. Um, you know, pretty rough start. But then Siakam gets that third foul, goes to the bench, and instantly Scotty is like, "All right, my turn." And he remembered. Oh, he's a six foot nine dude who no one can really stay in front of because he's too strong and too bouncy and his strides are too long. And he goes and scores on three straight possessions. He gets to the line one time and then two straight buckets scoring over guys who simply just had no chance of stopping him. Um, that, that was great to see. Scotty overall. I mean, his passing in close quarters is incredible. You know, the reason the Raptors, I think, were able to kind of counter a little bit what the Suns were doing, meeting their ball handlers kind of. 10, 12 feet away from the basket is Scotty is so bloody good at kind of reading over that layer of defense. And he found guys underneath a couple of times. Uh, Fred Van Vliet did as, as well, too, I think with Thad Young once or twice. And then there was a beautiful pass from Scotty down to Precious Achua underneath. And that was a great way to kind of carve up what the Suns were doing. They just didn't do it enough. But there were some you know flashes there of problem solving on Scotty Barnes's part, which is great to see. Fred Van Vliet, I mean, this dude was the reason they went on that run to start the third quarter where they go 10-0 out of the gate. They looked like, oh man, this is a totally different team. They're going to go and run away with this in the second half. They just looked that potent out of the gate in the first couple minutes there. That was entirely Fred Van Vliet driven. Completely just changed the pace of the game. Uh, I can't remember who it was on Raptors Internet. It might have been our pal Oren Weisfeld. I'm totally apologetic if I'm attributing wrong, but someone pointed out he's playing like Kyle Lowry plays, right? Where it's just, okay... The team needs me to kind of take this by the reins and and get things rolling here. And you saw that sort of very direct, gets the ball, instantly kind of probing, getting into the teeth of the defense, scoring around the rim, um, and then get dipping into his pull-up three and transition bag as well to bust a, a Suns run later in that third quarter. You know, not the greatest shooting night for Fred, two of eight from deep, but scored at the rim at will. And, and you know, was kind of the only Raptor who could do that. And he's got the mid-range game going now too. Uh, you know, Fred's been really good. And I think... If we're talking about the deadline and sort of what's coming up here, I continue to think Fred's got to be a guy who you view as a solution going forward. He is just a really good basketball player when he's on. His injury history, his decline potentially looming, all of that is very valid reason for concern about the next Fred Van Vliet contract. But where are you getting a player like him? Where are you getting someone who compliments Scotty Barnes and Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam as well as Fred Van Vliet does? Where are you getting someone who plays off-ball defense with the iron fists as well as Fred Van Vliet does? He's not perfect. He's not one of the best point guards in the NBA, but you can't just go... Like, this is a team that already needs more point guards than they have on hand. We'll talk about Malachi Flynn, and yes, he hit a couple threes, but boy, oh boy, that dude is just not an NBA player. How much different would the Raptors be if they had another ball handler, Monte Morris, for example, just to give that sort of steadying orchestration of the offense? You want to go get rid of the one guy they have who does that and not have a backup plan in place? I, I just... That, to me, feels really dicey and like a surefire way to ensure there's no forward progress next season. I know Fred Van Vliet is a polarizing figure, but he was really good in this game against the Suns. He's been really good for the last month overall. He was probably the best Raptor in the month of January. You could maybe say Scotty Barnes. Pascal obviously still put up the big numbers and had some big big games here and there, too. Um but like Fred is a driver of positive play for this team and he provides skills that they desperately need. And I'm okay, I think, with the risks involved in whatever his next contract's gonna be because of the way he's looked over the last month here. It seems like he's put the sickness and the back pain behind him for now. It could always rear its ugly head, but without an actual backup plan, we saw last night against the Suns, 
Fred Van Vliet provides things that just nobody else on the Raptors can right now. And you can't just move on from him and say, I will figure it out later because it's a very important position. If you're going into next season and you are trying to maximize Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes, not having Fred Van Vliet on the team without a real replacement already in mind, I think would be kind of gross negligence, honestly. Like you can go into the off season all you want and say, yeah, we'll go find a point guard. Fred Van Vliet's probably the best point guard who's going to be on the market this summer. And you can't go and just bank on getting a point guard in the draft who's going to come in and be great for you immediately because that's just not how it works most of the time. So I think this was just another sort of feather in the cap of those arguing in favor of keeping Fred Van Vliet around. I know everyone gets mad at me for, you know, supporting Fred Van Vliet. And I I don't think he's without his issues or his risks or his down, you know, his downsides, but he's really important. And we saw in that game against the Suns when Pascal's not on, the Raptors, at least now, earlier in the season, in a game like this one, where the offense is not working, Pascal's having a rough night, they lose that game by 25, and it's over by the end of the first half. They have, like, 16 points in the first quarter, if it's earlier in the year, just based on the way the script of the games were going, with Fred Van Vliet playing as poorly as he was. Now you have a backup option. You have two backup options in Freddie and Scotty. Sometimes they run together in little fun pick-and-roll combinations, which are starting to look really good, by the way. Um, but like now you have a safeguard. Pascal has an off night. Maybe Fred and Scotty, with the rest of the crew who were available last night, aren't enough to win these games all the time, but they're enough to keep you in them and keep them interesting and give you a puncher's chance, which I know that's you know not what you want to hear if you're um, a fan of a team. Oh, they got a puncher's chance. Yeah, moral victories. Woohoo! Like, that's not what everybody wants, but as far as where the season sits right now and what things are, are looking like going forward, Fred Van Vliet, to me, is kind of making himself pretty indispensable with the way he's played and the way I think he can help next year's Raptors and beyond. It doesn't just have to be next year, although if you sign him, you do have the potential of just moving him whenever you feel like it's possible to get a good return or you feel like you have a better plan in place for what your point guard's going to be going forward. If you get the second in the draft lottery and get Scoot Henderson, that changes things, obviously, but um, I don't think you can bank on that by any means. We're going to come back on the other side, get into the good, the bad, and the hmm from the game against the Suns uh, with a lot of bench talk, bench talk, both for the Raptors and for the Phoenix Suns, who just make me very jealous. We'll get to that in just one second. Before we do that, however, uh, just a reminder that you can go and uh, support Locked on Leafs, your favorite Toronto Maple Leafs daily podcast hosted by Mike DiStefano and Dave Morissuti. They do a wonderful job breaking everything down for your buds who are very good, the number two team in the Eastern Conference right now, and uh, preparing to hopefully maybe get through the first round of the playoffs. There might be the only Toronto sports team in the playoffs this spring, so go hop on the wagon with our pals Mike and Dave over at Locked on Leafs every single day on your favorite podcast apps and on YouTube. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's continue on here. Round out the show with uh, the good, the bad, and the hmm, the way we round out every Raptors recap episode here on the podcast. Let's get to the good. Kind of a small good, but, I, you know, actually, pun, pun intended here. Small ball center Thad Young. He's back in the rotation a little bit more recently here, and they're using him, I think, in his ideal role, which is small ball five. There's been a lot of sort of, 
what is Thad Young on this team? Do we stick him in the corner? Do we just kind of have him float in the dunker spot, whatever it might be? What does he do on defense? Is he, you know, does he have the speed to really be one of those guys who's going and closing out and all of that that the Raptors like to sort of use their wings for? Thad Young is a small ball center. He's been a small ball center since he had that sort of career weight reawakening with Chicago a few years ago. And that's where he's going to be at his best. It's where he can be a guy in the middle of a zone, for example, making plays and making reads out of there. You can run him from the elbows as your sort of hub of offense. You can have him be a pick and roll guy. On the short roll, he's going to make great decisions. And on defense, he's not a rim protector, right? That's just, that's the big drawback. He's six foot eight. He's not the type of rim protector you badly need back there. He doesn't fix the problems the Raptors have with a lack of size or a lack of, you know, consistent center play over 48 minutes, but he does enough. He gets his hands in the cookie jar. He got three steals last night. He tries really hard, falling on the deck, all of this. That's the best spot for Thad Young. I'd like to see him play a little more regularly with the better Raptors players as well. Um, But I I think finding some role definition, and role definition will be a theme of this segment, I promise you that. Um, But finding some role definition for Thad and just having him be a small ball five, full stop, nothing else. He's your backup center to pressures that you are right now. He's your, you know, whatever, break glass in case of emergency center once you're fully healthy. Uh, Or maybe Precious just starts forever and uh, Thad could be your backup center for now. It's just that's the best way to use him. And any way you can put players from this Raptors bench into positions to best succeed, I think you got to do because you're just not getting anything from the bench right now. Um, Thad Young has been a a nice little bright light these last couple games, as much as his uh, lefty finishes are the most predictable thing in the entirety of NBA basketball. Uh, Let's get to the, hmm, sorry, the bad, shall we? The bad for me was the lineup Nick Nurse rolled out to start the fourth quarter. And look, I know there's no OG Ananobi. We're always concerned about the level of minutes the starters are playing. You can't have your cake and eat it too, where you get mad at the bench lineups Nick Nurse uses with four bench guys and then also get mad at him for playing his starters 38 or 40 minutes. But there's got to be some kind of in-between. And the lineup that Nick Nurse rolled out of Scotty Barnes with Malachi Flynn, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Chris Boucher, and Thad Young. Like, of course that lineup couldn't defend. Uh, They lost 10-5 in their minutes to start the fourth quarter. Couldn't defend. Offense was uh, unquestionably stodgy. You get a couple of threes that go in from Malachi Flynn, but, like, lucky threes, man. I I don't know. Like, I feel like he just happens in to threes that just, you know, are completely wide open, and it's like a celebration when he hits his threes. It shouldn't be a celebration when a third-year guy is hitting his threes. Like, his whole thing is he's got to come in and make shots, and it shouldn't be, like, a point of pride for him to hit two threes in a game, especially considering he gave a lot back on on defense and on offense. In addition to hitting a couple threes, he bombed away a couple pretty irresponsible ones and just does nothing to break down the defense when the ball comes to him there's almost nothing happening he's just shipping it off to the next guy it's like you're playing four on five at times and so I didn't love that I didn't love Wancho out there um you know he just he continues to kind of be very uninspiring he's not hitting his threes yes he's good positionally on defense yes he can make the odd back cut but he doesn't do a whole lot when he's out there either um, you know, I would have liked to have just seen, maybe you get a Delano Banton some run here. He was back from injury last night. I didn't want to throw him right in. Ken Birch even, like, these guys haven't played in ages, and the guys who are playing right now, it's just not really working with them. Even Christian Coloco played two minutes. He's been good down in the G League. Wouldn't have minded seeing him a little bit more in this game. Um, maybe that comes at the expense of small ball fad at the five, but, you know, just trying something different. Malachi Flynn's gotten plenty of chances of late. It's not working. This lineup, you know, it didn't, Pull the. It didn't lose the Raptors the game. They they were down ten five. I think it was like a three point deficit um, when they came out of the game. 
But they didn't give the Raptors any cushion, and they invited themselves into a crunch time game with the Suns and Chris Paul. And they're going to crush you when you get into a crunch time game with the Suns and Chris Paul. It's just kind of how it works. And had they gone with a bit of a more potent lineup to start that quarter, maybe you get Gary Trent Jr. in there in place of Malachi Flynn for a little extra shot making, a little extra juice. Maybe, just maybe, they can give themselves enough cushion in that fourth quarter to not have to play catch-up, not have to have every single defensive possession mean the world. It just, they put them behind the eight ball to start the fourth, and I did not like that lineup choice by Nick Nurse. But again, I don't know what he's supposed to do, really, because the options aren't exactly just flowing all over the place when you're down OG as well. It's tough. I just feel like there's got to be a little bit more ingenuity there, a little bit more of a sort of staggering of a couple of guys with the bench guys, especially at a critical juncture of the game. Or it's just the best stealth tank you've ever seen. I don't think they're stealth tanking, but, uh, you know, you could convince me if they keep on rolling out Malachi Flynn for four, fourth quarter stretches and nothing else, maybe, maybe, maybe you could convince me they're actually doing the stealth tank. Um, let's get to the hmm. And this is more of a like a, an envious hmm, more of a ponderous what if I had that type of thing. For me... I am just very jealous of the Suns' bench and their depth. And I don't necessarily think Josh Akoji or Ishmael Wainwright or Jock Landale or Damian Lee or Saban Lee are markedly more talented than the bench players the Raptors have. Some of them you could argue for sure. You know, I'll throw Torrey Craig into here as well. He started, but he played and came off the bench or or comes off the bench normally. You know, the Suns just kind of know what they want from their role guys, and their role guys know what their roles are. They know exactly what they're asked to do. Damian Lee knows he's in there to bomb threes and hit the odd floater on a, uh, when he's attacking a closeout. You know, Ishmael Rain- Wainwright knows he's in there to attack, you know, off the closeout once in a while. He actually scored around Precious Achua in this game, wild. But mostly he's there for, like, muscle and defense and play connecting. Um, you know, it's it just all these guys. Bismack Biombo, just perfect role definition. You're the big who sets screens for Chris Paul. Figure it out from there. Same with Jock Landale. These guys know what they're supposed to do. There's a system in place. They've been put into positions to succeed based on the skills they have. And that's just not a thing we've seen with the Raptors bench at all this season. Going back to the Thad thing, how many times have we seen Thad play in lineups where he doesn't play with guys who we can amplify, where he's playing out of position? How many times have we seen just like all these sort of throw the kitchen sink at the wall, see what sticks, throw this kitchen sink, throw spaghetti? I don't know. We're throwing stuff at walls and it's not working. And it just, I don't know if it's a coaching thing, if Monty Williams just kind of has a bit more of a a simplistic scheme within which you can operate and kind of learn the ropes and not feel like you're constantly playing for playing time and at the risk of being put in the doghouse again. I don't know if it's just that their bench players are better and maybe I'm overrating what the Raptors have or underrating who the Suns have, but these are like minimum players who are coming in and making meaningful contributions and not detracting from what the Suns are doing, whereas the Raptors bench guys come in and it's often just, okay, please don't lose too many uh, points on the board here so our good players can catch up and still be within in touching distance. Like, it's... I, I don't know if you are looking at reasons to move on from Nick Nurse based on the reporting yesterday that maybe this summer is the time we're gonna, they're going to decide what his future is going to look like. I, I really wonder, you know, how much of is it a coaching thing? Is this a thing that you kind of put on Nick Nurse or is it, again, the front office for just not assembling enough of a roster and, you know, kind of still being in that, you know, catching up from all the talent drain from the post-title years? It's probably a little bit of both, honestly, but sometimes I yearn for the Dwayne Casey days where every single player off the bench had the exact same role, exact same thing that they were going to do every single day. Over the course of 82 games, that sort of repetition and 
understanding of what's coming each night probably helps. It has to help. It was why the Raptors were able to overperform so often during the Casey era. They've overperformed it during the Nick Nurse era for different reasons, but I think that's mostly because Nurse just plays his best guys as much as he can to try to win every game. Casey was more of a, all right, you know, we have this setup. We have these 10 guys who are going to play and it's going to work. And everyone knows exactly what their role is. I just, outside of Precious Achua when he's off the bench and Chris Boucher, there's not a single Raptor to me who has role definition off the bench. And, um, you know, as far as why this is a hmm, I'm just, I wonder why that is. It's a, it's a curious thing. It's probably a mix of a lot of things, but Nick Nurse, I think with his sort of mad scientist, let's try whatever I can think of and concoct in this bench lineup thing, I feel like that's got to be part of it. It's just a a weird season, man. Weird season. And uh, the loss against the Suns, I don't think is going to keep it from getting any weirder as the deadline loudness is only going to, I think, uh, you know, ratchet up here over the course of the next nine days or so, especially if OG Ananobi is in fact on the table as per the latest Shams reporting um, that I'm just reading in Twitter DMs from our friend Brandon Clean over at Locked on Suns uh, as we record here. With that, we're going to round it out. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back again tomorrow to break down, or not to break down, to talk with our friend Katie Heindel, just sort of about the big picture direction of the team. And she wrote a wonderful piece over at Basketball Feelings that we're going to dig into deep tomorrow. And we'll talk probably about the OG stuff. We'll talk all about the sort of decision that the Raptors are staring down the barrel of here in the next nine days. That'll be tomorrow. Thursday, we'll break down Raptors Jazz. Hi, David Locke. And uh, on Friday, we will also be doing that OG Ananobi deep dive with Joe Wolfon, much like we did with Fred Van Vliet earlier in the month. We'll be digging into all the reasons why the Raptors should maybe look at moving on from OG Ananobi, why it might be a bad idea as well. We'll get to all of that and sort of break it down from all sides on Friday. In the meantime, though, go make your second listen of the day. Locked on NBA game to game. If you missed all the games last night, and there's no way you watched all the games, go and check out game to game. Local experts like me with quick breakdowns of all the important bits from all the games across the league. It is the best way to keep up with what's going on around the association. Locked on NBA game to game over on the Locked on NBA YouTube channel. With that, we're rounded out there. Thank you so much for tuning in. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.